Today's episode of A New Beginning is brought to you by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Learn more at harvest.org. And while you're there, browse our library of free ebooks designed to help you grow in your faith. The number one threat against our marriage is simply selfishness. Because we go into a marriage honestly thinking that it's all about us and that person is going to meet all of our needs and we never stop and think maybe the problem is me. Today on A New Beginning, help for our marriages. Pastor Greg Laurie helps us diagnose and treat this marital disease called selfishness. The antidote to selfishness is selflessness. This is the day when the lost are writer said marriage isn't 50-50. Divorce is. Marriage isn't dividing everything in half. It's giving everything you've got. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us see how to divorce-proof our marriages. When our culture tries to unravel the family, the very fabric of society, we need to work hard at knitting ourselves together in the love of God. This message is part of a popular teaching series from Pastor Greg, a series called Home Sweet Home. married 42 years. That's how long it's been. But here's the amazing thing. I still remember vividly, like a video loop in my mind, Kathy walking down the aisle. She didn't really look all that different than she looks now, as a matter of fact. She was a vision in white. I looked like one of the guys from Duck Dynasty, you know. (laughs) But underneath that, she could see that underneath all of that hair was a bald man. And that's pretty much (laughs) what she got. But you know, when you stop and think about marriage, uh, after we say, I do, there's a lot more to be done. And if you think you're done, you're finished. It's been said, if love is a dream, then marriage is the alarm clock. (laughs) And I think one of the problems is, when we see marriages start to unravel, it isn't usually overnight. It's over a period of time when there is neglect. Just like your garden. If you neglect your garden, it'll grow over with weeds. If you don't take care of your body, you're still going to have problems. And if you neglect your marriage, it will slowly but surely die. Uh, One comedian said, quote, the secret of a happy marriage remains a secret. (laughs) Is that true though? Or are there actual secrets in the Bible? Well, I believe there are. I also think there are things that are threats to our marriage and I would like to identify some of those in this message, how to divorce proof your marriage. You know the Bible says in the Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 15, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's always little things left neglected that ultimately turn into big things that can ultimately become destructive things in your marriage. So what are some of the threats against our marriage today? Number one, I think the number one threat against our marriage is simply selfishness. If you were to sum up why people have marital problems, it would be because of selfishness. If you were to pick one word to describe why a marriage ultimately fell apart, again, it would be selfishness. Because we go into a marriage honestly thinking 
that it's all about us and that person is going to meet all of our needs and we never stop and think maybe the problem is me. In James 4, 2 we read these words. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside of yourselves. That's it. We want our own way. We want her to do what we want her to do and she wants the guy to do what she wants him to do. And of course we live in a culture that's completely self-absorbed. My generation, the baby boomers, were described as the me generation. Now they're saying this new generation called the millennials is the me, me generation. How's that even possible? More self-absorbed than we were. And uh, I think we're partly responsible because of the whole inane self-love movement, self-esteem movement that gained popularity back in the 70s. We were told that uh, the reason we have all the problems in our culture today is because we don't love ourselves enough. And if we would learn to love ourselves more, then, then everything would go much better. And so there was all this emphasis on self-image and self-love and so forth. And did it fix things? No, it actually made things worse. One expert said, quote, the problem is that when people try to boast self-esteem, they boosted narcissism instead. All that self-esteem led people to be disappointed when the world refused to affirm how great they know they are. You know, so it's sort of the mentality of there's no losers, everybody's a winner. No, there's losers. Like when I go to my grandchildren's games, like soccer games, uh, I'll ask someone, what's the score? Oh, we're not keeping score. And I'll say, please, really? And then some guy tell me, it's four to two. You know, it's like, yeah, come on, we need to keep score. We need to give out grades. People succeed people fail. And that's true in life. And that's also true in marriage. And this started a long time ago in the Garden of Eden. The origins of sin and selfishness and a focus on ourselves are a result of the fall. After the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden. It's very important because God said something to them that is often misunderstood. A verse that is not grasped in its original context. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, the Lord said to Eve in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now by the way, that's not a positive thing. Remember, as a result of the fall and the curse, now here's what God is saying. From this point on, Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So don't ever use that as a proof text, guys, if you're trying to get order in the house. I should rule over you. No. That was an observation about the results of sin that would follow the choice of Adam and Eve. Why do I say that? Well, interestingly, the word desire, as in your desire will be for your husband, actually means to compel, urge, or seek control over you. It's the same word that is used in Genesis 4-7 when God warned Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, that is, control you, but you must master it. God was saying, listen, Cain, sin wants to master you. You must master sin. So coming back to the word, your desire, Eve, will be for your husband. In other words, God was saying, from this point on, you're going to want to control your husband. And then when God said to Adam, and you will rule over her, that also was a word that actually was unique. It represented an authoritarianism that was not in God's original plan. This is not the servant leadership 
that the husband should be displaying, but rather it's a guy wanting to dominate a woman. <laughs> so you could effectively say the battle of the sexes began in the garden. Male chauvinism and women's liberation, if you will, started there in the garden. Women have a sinful inclination to control men. Men have a sinful inclination to control women. And neither of those is God's original plan. So that's the origin of all of this. It's selfishness. Look, we don't need to love ourselves. We already do love ourselves. You love yourself. I love myself. And so when the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, it's not saying learn to love yourself first then love your neighbor. It says, hey, duh, in the original Greek, duh, is implied. Uh, you already love yourself, so love your neighbor that much at least. And of course, in Ephesians 5.28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. So it's not that we need to love ourselves. It's that we need to love someone else more than we love ourselves, or at least as much as we love ourselves. And Philippians tells us, don't be selfish. Uh, instead be thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think about your own affairs, but be interested in others. So one of the primary threats against marriage today is selfishness. And the antidote to selfishness is selflessness. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. Hey everybody, Greg Laurie here, encouraging you to join us this weekend for what we call Harvest at Home. It's worship. It's a message from the Word of God. You can watch it with your family, in your front room, or you can watch it on the go, on your tablet, on your phone, or your computer. Take it with you. Take the Word of God with you and join us for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, we're talking today about those things that threaten marriages. Pastor Greg is helping us divorce-proof our marriages. Here's another threat against our marriages, communication breakdown. Communication breakdown. In a survey that was taken among divorced couples, they were asked, why did your marriage fail? 86% said deficient communication. I mean, men and women, we are so different from each other. Now, the way we even communicate, you know, uh, look at a conversation between a man and a woman. A guy will stop and uh, say, uh, you know, where do you want to go out for dinner? And she'll say, well, I want to go to this place. And you have to start learning how to read between the lines with women. Um, just last night, my wife was saying, I want to go to dinner. I said, great. Uh, where do you want to go? She said, you decide. I said, good. Let's go get sushi. I don't want sushi. Okay. <laughs> let's go to that place that has those really great burgers. No, I, I don't want a hamburger. Okay. Well, let's go over to this other place. That, no, I don't want to go there. Well, let's go to the Mexican. Yeah, that's where I want to go. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? You know, she told me to choose, but ultimately she, she had her will. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, when a, a man and wife are talking, two different things are heard. She says, let's stop and ask for directions. And he hears her say, you're an idiot. You don't know where you're going. You're not even a man. Uh, she says, can I have the remote control? And he hears her say, let's watch something that will bore you beyond belief. I can't believe some of the things Kathy wants to watch. I, we're complete opposites in every way. She says, you know, I'd like to redecorate. He hears her say, let's take a whole bunch of money and just flush it down the toilet. Just like that. 
She says, you know, you need to get in touch with your feelings. He hears her say, blah, 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 blah. She says, are you listening? He hears her say, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, so this is part of the problem. Communication breakdown. Look, you're gonna have conflicts in marriage. You're gonna have disagreements. So you have to learn how to have a fair fight. You have to learn, and I don't mean coming to fisticuffs. I'm talking about a disagreement. You have to learn how to disagree agreeably and ultimately find some kind of solution and resolution. And I believe the guy should be the one that takes point in that. So you have to learn how to listen. What is it that is the problem exactly? Because you know a guy will ask a girl, or his wife in particular, what's wrong? She'll say, nothing, but you know something's wrong. So you don't accept that answer. You're gonna have to take some time and find out. Listen to her understand what she's saying, listen to him, understand what he's saying, and never let it get elevated to uh, shouting and screaming. In fact, the Bible tells us, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, and instead forgive one another. So don't elevate it, don't escalate it, de-escalate it, resolve it, and then once each has said their peace, now it's time to forgive one another, and again, as the scripture says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Listen to this. Fight to resolve, not to win. If you go into the disagreement to win, you've already lost. Here's the third threat against marriages, and this is a big one. Adultery. Adultery. It's such a big deal. It made God's top 10. And sadly, every one of us listening to this message knows at least one couple, if not more, that have had their marriage devastated by adultery. Think of how many marriages would still be together today if this one sin was not committed. Just if America alone stopped committing this sin for a year, it would change the face of our nation. Uh, how many families would still be together? How many people would still be loving each other? And then this just gets passed on from generation to generation. Uh, I heard about a, a, a young pastor that was listening to a visiting evangelist in his church and the guy was speaking and, and the uh, evangelist said, you know, some of the happiest moments of my life have been spent in the arms of another man's wife. There's kind of a, a pause and people are shocked and then the guy says, and that woman was my mother. And everyone laughs, okay, get it. Another man's wife, he, happy moments in his mom's arms. And so the young pastor said, I gotta use that line. So a couple months passed and he thought, I'm gonna use it in this sermon. He said, you know, some of the happiest moments of my life have been spent in the arms of another man's wife. And then he forgot the punchline. And he said, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. Well, that didn't go well. That didn't go well. You know, unfaithfulness is one of the greatest threats against marriage today. Stats tell us that 40 to 50% of all married men have had extramarital affairs and 70% of all married men under 40 expect to have an extramarital relationship. That's scary. So a bunch of guys are just waiting for what they would see as an opportunity. And uh, so this just gets worse. And it's men, of course, but now women are catching up. The numbers for women being unfaithful to their husbands is higher than ever. In 1953, while one half of married men had been unfaithful to their wives, only 26% of the wives responded in kind. But today, while only 19% of married women knew their husbands cheated on them, 41% of the women cheated. <laughs> so they're, they're just going out and doing that as well. This is destroying 
the fabric of the family. And God has warned us about this sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 he says, don't you know the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Solomon warned us about going to the house of the prostitute. In Proverbs 7, 24, listen to me, my son, pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she's been the ruin of many. Numerous men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. Wow. Her house is the road to the grave and her bedroom is the den of death. And Jesus, of course, took this to another level. He said, you've heard that it has been said you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, it's effectively the same thing. By the way, that phrase that Christ used, look on a woman, in the original language could be translated continuously looking. It's not a casual glance. No, it's continuously looking. And not only that, but it speaks of intentional and repeated gazing. So, you know, you're gonna see uh, an attractive guy, like right now. Um, <laughs> I mean the guy next to you, not me, of course. Or you're gonna see an attractive woman, you go, oh, attractive woman, attractive guy. That, that's not the issue here. It's like when you say, I'm now gonna go looking for this, and I'm not only gonna go looking for this, I'm gonna go looking for this lustfully. I'm going out of my way to feed the flames of lust. Now, in the old days, uh, you would have to go searching for a place to stimulate your lust, but nowadays it's only a mouse click away. Pornography, of course, is everywhere on the internet. They estimate that the worldwide sex industry is around $57 billion. There's 4.2 million porn sites and pornographic search engine requests total 68 million per day. As I said, wickedness is just a mouse click away. And of course the word pornography comes from the Greek word pornea. And it's interesting because that word is actually used a number of times in the New Testament. Uh, we learn in 1 Corinthians 16, our bodies were not made for it. We should not seek it out either, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 2. And finally, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, we should run from it. And then finally, we should repent of it if we fall and pray to it, 1 Corinthians 12, 21. You need to run. Remember the story of Joseph and the original cougar, Potiphar's wife? She was an older woman, attractive no doubt, laying lustful eyes on the attractive, handsome uh, young Joseph. And she was very upfront about her intention. She just said, day after day, have sex with me. And he repelled her advances. And one day she just grabbed him and pulled him down on the bed. And he did what any clear-thinking, red-blooded young man would do or should do under such circumstances. He ran. And sometimes, literally, it's as simple as running. It's as simple as hitting the off button. It's as simple as terminating a conversation and so you need to take the step because people that get into the trap of adultery lose perspective. And here's the thing we don't think about. We call it an affair. What a stupid word that is, an affair. Sounds like a cruise or something. But really, it's the worst thing you can do. It's adultery. And God tells you not to go there. But when a person has committed this act, it's not one time. Because when two people hook up and engage in this kind of a lifestyle, it's all about sex. It has nothing to do with love. So it's gonna be many, many times. It's gonna be a lot of lying to 
cover up what they've been doing. So effectively, if you're a Christian, you go into a completely backslidden state of immorality. And I have also found people that are found out in affairs. They say it was only once that they're liars. They're always liars. And you find out later, it wasn't once, it was many times. And it wasn't one person, it was more than one person. See, it's just a trap that gets worse and you don't ever want to go down that road again. You say, but Greg, come on now, won't God forgive me? Yes, He will. God will forgive you if you've fallen into the sin of adultery. But your spouse may not forgive you quite as quickly. And as we'll point out, it technically is grounds for divorce. Hopefully that won't happen, but it is a deal breaker. And even if it's been forgiven, there's a lot of time that needs to be taken for trust to be restored. So we don't want to go down that road ever. Pastor Greg Laurie with important warnings about the lure of immorality and the other dangers to our marriages. And there's more to come as this message continues here on A New Beginning. And then we're making available an encouraging book this month that offers encouragement for those who've suffered loss. Uh, Pastor Greg, let's talk to the friends and loved ones of someone who's just suffered a terrible loss. Okay. What are the right words to say to that person, and what are the wrong words? Okay, well, I would say, let me start with some of the wrong words, and then I'll talk about some of the right words. Wrong words. Are you over it yet? Uh, <laughs> I actually had someone ask me this two weeks after my son died. Are uh, you over it yet? Uh, Listen, when someone loses a loved one, especially a child, they'll never be over it. They'll get through it by God's grace but they don't get over it. So don't ever ask them, are you over it? I had someone say to me, well, God picks his best flowers first. Oh. What a ridiculous statement. First of all, your loved one is not a flower, and that makes no sense at all. But then someone else might say, well, do you have other children? Well, at least you have them. But listen, no one can take the place of the child or the loved one you lost. Sometimes people will try to compare it to their pain. Oh, I know what it's like. For instance, if you lost a child, they'll say, I lost my grandmother. Look, I'm sorry you lost your grandmother, but it's not the same as losing a child because you don't plan for that. So don't say those things. So what should you say? Short answer, less is more. Wow. You know, Job went through the worst suffering imaginable. Some friends showed up, and for the first few days, they said nothing. They just saw Job in his pain and misery, and they wept for him. That was fantastic. And you know, it's really when they started talking that the problems began. So choose your words carefully. As they said, less is more. You could say something like, I'm really sorry. I'm praying for you. I love you. Is there anything I can do for you? No, Greg, they need a sermon. You know, maybe they don't need a sermon. Maybe they just need a friend. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he said, stay here with me, watch and pray for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went and began to literally sweat blood, according to Dr. Luke, as the pressure of the impending crucifixion was coming. And he returns to them and they're asleep. And he said, could you not stay awake with me? Here's the point. Jesus didn't need sermons. He needed friends. He just needed someone to be with him. 
And when someone has lost a loved one, just being there, the ministry of presence, if you will, can really be a big deal. Well, we're speaking about loss, and that coincides with a resource we're making available to our listeners right now. It's a book by a family who suffered tremendous loss in the last couple of years, the Evans family. Many of our listeners are familiar with Dr. Tony Evans, and their family suffered the loss of eight different family members in the last few years. The book is called Divine Disruption, and I know you highly recommend it. I do, and not only do I recommend it, I want to put a copy of this book in your hands uh, because this is a book that's going to be encouraging to you. It's subtitled, Holding On to Faith When Life Breaks Your Heart. Am I talking to somebody right now that has a broken heart? Maybe you're having a hard time holding on to your faith? Then you need a copy of this book, Divine Disruption, that I will send to you for your gift of any size. Some of you may only be able to send a little bit, but whatever you send will be invested in expanding this radio ministry. So please, whatever you can do, it's greatly appreciated. And as our way of saying thanks, we'll send you your own copy of this brand new book by Tony Evans and his children titled Divine Disruption. Yeah, that's right. All four of Dr. Evans' kids contributed their encouragement. Priscilla Shire, Crystal Evans-Hurst, Jonathan Evans, and Anthony Evans. It's rich encouragement from five different points of view. We hope you'll send a generous investment today and ask for the book, Divine Disruption. You can call us at 1-800-821-3300. And we can take your call anytime, 24-7. That's 1-800-821-3300. Or write A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514. Or just go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, Pastor Greg has more practical insight on how we can divorce-proof our homes. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher Greg Laurie. A New Beginning is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. If this show has impacted your life, share your story, leave a review on your favorite podcast app, and help others find hope.